As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll, of course, be looking forward to the North London derby this Saturday morning in the company of ace Arsenal writers and analysts for The Athletic. Uh, it's Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Morning. Hello. Good morning. Morning. Uh, before we do all that, we have a very special guest who's written a fine book that we're going to have a chat about. Uh, a man who made 447 appearances for the Arsenal, two league titles, one FA Cup, two League Cups and a European Cup Winners' Cup. And what a night that was. Uh, it's Paul Davis, everyone. Morning, Hi, Paul. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Paul. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to Thank have you. you here. It's great to be here. Nice to have you, Paul. Before we get talking about the book, uh, we tend to ask uh, an opening question, Paul, just to get us warmed up. Uh, a sort of pre-game bit of stretching, if you like. Um, uh, now, it is the North London derby uh, on Saturday. Uh, I was looking on Twitter just before I came on here. 30 years ago, uh, actually yesterday, 28th of September 1992, Arsenal played Manchester City in a uh, Monday night football game on Sky. And for some reason, the shaman <laughs> were booked to sing a song about the fun that you can have on recreational drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and they were Spurs fans, weren't they? Word got out that they were Spurs fans. And Apparently the singers Chelsea. Oh, was it Chelsea? Yeah, it was, it, they definitely weren't Arsenal and word got out and, oh my goodness, they, did it get booed and drowned out? They got it, some abuse. It was, it was embarrassing. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Uh, now knowing that, that is excellent and I'm glad they did it. But uh, it wasn't obviously a... Um, a thing that lasted long on Monday Night Football. But what we were wondering was, who would you have playing uh, before the North London derby on Saturday? Uh, Adrian, I'm going to come to you first, uh, just because uh, Amy was looking like, oh my God. I'm just scanning through <laughs> my Paul's Spotify like, what have we got you into? just 
thrown this at us like really <laughs> well, quickly without what, thought. But go on, let's do it. I've got. I'll tell you what. I'll, just, I'll tell you what then. I mean, look, everyone knows that I'm going to have the jam. All right, everybody knows that I would have the jam playing, and why wouldn't I have the jam playing? And uh, no one's booing Paul Weller because I am going round the stadium telling the stewards to, pe- to tell people to keep quiet if that happens. All right, <laughs> so I'm having the jam. It's not Arsenal related, uh, but um, I mean, for an away game, I suppose we could have Strange Town, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, I'm having the jam. Don't really mind what they play. Uh, Adrian, what about yeah, you? Again, look, you've thrust this on us very, very quickly, so I'm, I'm struggling big time. But the, the, one of the songs that always gets me going, um, sort of on the dance floor or a gig or a wedding, is Mr... I know it's predictable, but Mr Brightside from The Killers. Good and I've been, to, I've been to see them, and it was epic. And I would like to see that before the North Under Dub. We'd all, get, we'd all uh, get up for it after that. It would be fantastic. You know what? Some of the old season ticket holders would get in their seats 10 minutes earlier just to see that. <laughs> we absolutely would. Um, uh, Paul, I'm going to come to you next, all right? Uh, what what would get you going, Paul? Well, what song you, would get you going? You did throw this on us a bit, didn't you? you know? I'm kind of struggling. I did, yeah. I've not, not got my Spotify like Amy, so I don't, I'm kind of trying to wrap my brain. But I've got one, and maybe people don't want to have heard of this, but we made a song. Uh, the Arsenal players back in the day called We're Back. And that's <laughs> back where I we belong. Play. Back where we belong. It only um, took a minute and then we yeah, went and did it. That's it. Well, uh, no, we remembered it. So, so, some of us still have this on vinyl. That is, uh, I know that sounds that like a song these days. that I would <laughs> want us to be seeing. And if anyone hasn't heard that from our Arsenal days, I think that was back in mid 80s that we did it was that it was 1989 Paul oh, wow. and I have to say the yeah. star of the video was none yeah. other than Mr than Paul myself, Davis yeah. really <laughs> with moves that put everyone to shame yeah. and some very very wide trousers so if you if you can't get the the, the actual um what they call it, 40 40 uh yeah if you can't get the vinyl then get, definitely try and get the video somewhere because there's a, the 45 is what you were going to say there for anyone <laughs> under 60 <laughs> the 45 they yeah. used to bring out records in 33s 45s and to be honest i remember 78s um <laughs> what have brilliant. you got amy what have you got well i don't think i can beat paul so he smashed it there uh i am gonna go for a band called fishbone um who are an american sort of riotous kind of punk funk band um and apparently their concerts were um well i don't know maybe aggressive is the word so i thought ahead of the north london derby it might work it's really fast paced it gets you moving big time there's a song called mighty long way and the lyrics are me and my friends would go a mighty long way and i thought that'll do for the weekend. That'll do. That's very, very nice. What you don't want before North London Derby is a ballad, right? I mean, essentially, <laughs> we don't want any of that sort of stuff. By the way, while we're on the subject, Sam Bird did send me a tweet. Uh, Dear Ian D. Stone, which is a bigger gap in quality, the upgrade from Pablo Mari to William Saliba at the back, all the difference between Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence song choices each week. Um, Adrian, you are the Pablo Mari in this particular I guess tweet. That. And, a- and Amy is the William like, Saliba. I like cheesy um, songs. What can I say? He likes Sam, he likes cheesy Adrian, you, songs. Adrian, you've done right? Stoney and- a favour, actually, because, you know, he was the uh, the, um, the butt of... Was he the whipping the, boy before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, no, no, I wasn't. But that's okay. what you like to think. Fair but enough. anyway, <laughs> Let, we've got Paul here. Let's do this. Pushing out. Evans meets it solidly with the head. This is Kevin Richardson. And Davis is storming through the centre. Paul Davis! 
season. Paul, uh, thanks very much for coming on. You've written uh, an excellent book. I've got it here. Uh, there it is, Arsenal. And after the opening chapter, can I just say, is not what I expected. Suffice to say, this book is not Ray Parler's book or Perry Groves' book. This is a very different vibe. I mean, the opening chapter, Paul, made me angry. I Briefly... When you and your pal were 17, walking back home late one night after a party in North London, you were arrested, uh, spent the night in the cells, charged with attempting to steal a car, I believe. But the only reason, aside from the fact that you were completely innocent, that you didn't get a criminal record uh, and lead a very different life, was because you were really good at football. I mean, do you think about the road not travelled? I do. And... The reason I wanted to do the book, and I've spoken about this, because I've been in the game for so long. I'm still in the game now, not obviously as a player, but, you know, I, uh, 40, 45 years now at the sort of cutting end of it. And I, I'd been asked by fans over the years about my games and, you know, the, the usual questions, you know, the debut and, uh, and all stuff that's gone on in my career, uh, you know, Glenn Cockle always, people get asked about that, and and the 89 and all the trophies that we've won. And so, you know, part of it, part of doing it was for the fans because that people kept on coming up to me and asking me. And then one part of it was my, my children, my boys, they weren't around when I was playing and they were hearing things through YouTube and Somebody else's dad would tell him about what I did, and it was like second hand stuff. So I thought, you know, it'd be a good time now. And then, then my partner, she was like pushing me to write this. You know, you've got a story to tell, not just about football, but you know, the bits that other people that you don't get to hear about. You know, that fans might be interested in that um, no one really gets to hear about. And as the years has gone on, I thought, well. Yeah, there are some things in there that I think it'd be interesting to share with people and hopefully they will find it interesting to listen to. So the old book has covered, I wanted it to cover not just the football side of it, the you know, the winning the trophies and how you feel about those, which is all in there. But it's all these other bits that go on that, that fans probably don't get to hear about. And some questions, some unanswered questions for fans. You know, there's things in there that I'm sure fans didn't know about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that I've done it with Tom Watt and the Reach Sport have uh, supported me with that. And I've known Tom for many years. And I think because we've known each other, we were able to have some really kind of deep conversations around it. It's essentially me that's come out in that book, hopefully. And um, that's what I wanted. But that particular story, Ian, is is true. Um, Sixteen years of age, just coming home one night. Myself, Chrissy, Chrissy White, and Rafa and me, just 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 mind our own business, coming home. And you know, next minute we're up against the wall and yeah, racially abused, um, chucked into separate police cars, and it was just a nightmare for the next five months. And um, for me, that was one moment that. It could have gone so differently had it not been for definitely the support of the club at the time because they gave us good lawyers, good solicitors. And after like five months of this to and fro in stressing in court in the end, it was thrown out of court within two minutes 
uh, because there's nothing there's nothing there but to have to go through that and to then realize that it could have gone differently if I if we hadn't if the club hadn't supported us we hadn't had a good lawyer um, then it would have been a different story and one of the reasons like I said earlier I've done the book is because my my you know I've got two young sons they don't know that story they didn't know that story um, they've read the book they understand a little bit about it. They're probably going through similar stuff themselves and how do they deal with it? So, you know, that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do it as well for that generation. You know, it's your words, it's your story, but it also speaks for a lot of young black Londoners of your era. Um, I just wanted to ask you, listen to you talking about that. You know, when you have a trauma like that, and it, it must have been traumatic, it's not necessarily over after the two minutes that, um, you know, it gets thrown out of court. How, how long do you feel that that experience stayed with you? I mean, is it still with you or was it something it took a couple of years, you know, when, when you were out and about at night, did it still feel worrying for a while, you know, so, to go through something like that? How does it actually affect your day-to-day life? Um, I think, yeah, definitely, you know, I'm talking about it now today like kind of 40 years later it sticks with you and no doubt you don't forget things like that and I think um, you know I'm talking about we're talking about sort of uh, early 80s so it's a long time ago but it's still fresh that sort of stuff is still fresh in my mind Um, life back then things change you know the environment back then the, the culture back then was really a tough one for a black youngster growing up. You always felt um, watched. I did anyway. Um, always felt that there was uh, you know, certain areas that you just couldn't go into in London. Um, so there was a lot going on. Um, you had TV programs. I spoke. I speak about this in the book. Uh, that's all. And I, I was saying to someone the other day. You know, back then there was only four. Uh, channels on TV. Imagine that, kids. All <laughs> channels. Yeah, imagine. Like, the kids, the youngsters will know about that, even, would they? It's like it's amazing. Four channels. So, you know, you'll get the nation you, of, a, of an evening after the nation will be watching one channel, uh, a program on one channel. So everybody would be watching the same thing. Everybody watches the same thing back then. And so you, you come to work in the morning and everybody be talking about that one thing because the chances are that the nation have been watching it. So if that program was a negative uh, program about black people, which often was, but coming in, you know, to any place to work the next morning, that would often be the you know, sort of topic of conversation. That's a really important subject matter, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's brilliant that you've covered it in such, such sort of detail. Um, turning your attention to football, I grew up watching you when obviously I got to play with you a few times Um coming through as a young player at Arsenal but I grew up watching you and the one midfield partnership that that really stands out is is with Mickey Thomas with Michael there in the, in the heart of that that midfield how special was it to play alongside Michael Thomas and yeah what what are your sort of best memories of of that duo because it was it was very special yeah from a footballing perspective you know Michael Michael had so much talent Adrian as you you saw you saw it first and um uh, but I talk about Michael and all those guys um, from a more kind of uh, sort of relationship angle because those guys grew up in South London as I did and 
they they were younger, five five or six years younger. So I was in the team just before they actually got into the team. And I talk about how they tell me that I was kind of an inspiration for them, which is really a nice thing to to receive. But from a football point of view, yeah, Michael, I enjoyed watching playing with Michael, and he was he was a footballing type of player. He wanted to be on the ball. Um, yeah, he, he started off at right back and then got into midfield. I didn't, we didn't actually. Um, I played more in midfield with his, uh, Steve Williams. Um, That's mainly that Michael played in there a few times. The way um, at the start, the way we were playing was great for him, um, but he wanted to be more attacking. And, and and the way George set us up was a bit. There was always a little bit of <laughs> friction between the way well, that we were wanting to express ourselves and the way George wanted to wanted us to play and you know it's it's one of those things that that uh, kind of stays under underground really because we had so much success but uh, there was a there was some um, sort of to and froing with us we'll talk a little bit about George by the way I did message uh, Paul uh, a couple of days ago and I said to you about that photo uh, that has been doing the rounds a little bit you've got in the book as well which is you uh, Michael Thomas uh, David Rocastle and Ian Wright uh, as you say all South London boys it's a brilliant brilliant photo about about 10 minutes after I messaged you uh, it then I read the I read I'm reading more of the book and you say exactly the same thing about how it's such a uh, it's such a positive photo for you because you were talking about, you know, you 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 came to the club. You were the only black footballer at the club. And then, obviously, as things moved on, uh, RT, uh, Arsenal became, uh, uh, you know, a multiracial so, football so proud. Club. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, as, you know, I look back on my career now, I'm at a stage where, like, you know, it's all, it's all behind me, really, and I can look back and reflect in a more calmer way. I'm not in sort of involved in it in that sense. And um, yeah, those those moments really mean a lot to me in terms of, um, you know, I was one of the first black players to establish myself in at Arsenal, and it's kind of really coming home to me now. That I, at the time, I didn't really, I didn't really, um, well, I didn't appreciate that at all. And then the fact that these other guys, you know, Michael Thomas, Kevin Campbell, Rocky Rowcastle, all uh, all those guys came after me as many others as well and they were saying that you know it was they saw me there that made the difference for them that made them want to and that's such a humbling thing that's such a unbelievable thing to to receive after because at the time you, you, I didn't, I'm not aware of all that I'm just playing trying to keep in the team trying to trying to get a new contract and uh, this is all going on beyond beyond me I'm only finding this out after I finished playing. And another thing, Ian, is um, uh, fans coming up to you, black fans coming up to you after finishing playing and say, like, you know, you're one of the reasons. And it's like, wow. And then I look in the Arsenal fans now, look at Arsenal fans now, we've got such a cross section. Yeah, and then I yeah. think, well... You're you know, part of the reason. Yeah, it's, it's You're part it's of the reason, Paul. And it made fabulous. us proud. It made us proud yeah. as, as you know, as Arsenal fans that that was our club. It really felt like we were representative. Amy, you wanted to come in. Yeah, no, I mean, it really, I remember those days going to certain other grounds uh, outside of London. And, you know, <laughs> it, I think it, we felt, we all felt like we were making a statement, you know, in, in having you on the pitch and being able to support you guys. 
Um, and I think the fan base even then in the 80s was more open than it was in a lot of other places because there was a big Greek community, a big Irish community, a uh, big um, Caribbean community all around close to Highbury and local neighbourhoods. And I think people felt they could come, whereas I think that they really wouldn't feel welcome elsewhere. Uh, and it was that cosmopolitan vibe that was part of the club and is part of it today. I mean, but, you know, you talk about fans coming up to you in the street. This is something I think might be interesting to some of the younger listeners. Um, you know, today the players, they come in, they drive in their cars with sometimes blacked out windows and down deep underground into the car park underneath the pitch. And, you know, that kind of um, interaction is more difficult. And I mean, I suppose when you think back about when you're making your debut and you're coming on the tube to the match and you're, <laughs> you know, or even sort of in, in the heyday of winning titles and stuff, players used to park, didn't they, in St. Joan of Arc, like up the road and you'd, they'd have to come out and walk up the road to their cars. And obviously there was just much more being around everybody else. Do you have fond memories of that? And do you sort of think it must be quite weird for today's players that they're in this sort of bubble? Like I say, Amy, it's such a game. Everything's changed, and it, yeah, we used to, like I say, we used to park outside Ibury up at the church. Like you say, about um, three hundred. I don't know. It's like a five ten minute walk from from the stadium. You couldn't you do that now. Residence parking oh, now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and walk to walk to the stadium. Yeah, for on a match day. So I don't know if it was the same for you, Asian, when you were, were playing, but definitely. Um, we felt a connection there. We, we knew some of the fans by name. They were there so regularly. Um, we signed autographs. It, it, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not as close to it now in terms of sort of player fan relationships. But I don't know if it happens like that. I don't think it does. No. Now. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's yeah. very different, isn't it? But and I think most players do enjoy having that connection, that rapport with the supporters as well, don't they? Um, just, I haven't had a chance to, to read the book yet, but I'm sure you've mentioned um, Copenhagen and, and that Cup Winners Cup final in 1994. During the lockdown, um, Arsenal asked me to do a breakdown of the game um, to sort of analyse it back and it was a real treat it was a real was treat was it defence versus attack say, essentially it, it, wasn't it? it, it kind of was at times it was at times <laughs> but I'll tell you what I'm not blowing smoke up your backside but you you had an outstanding match that day and I bigged you up Paul um, you must have, that must have been one of the proudest um, moments yeah, of, of your Arsenal career right? yeah it was um I mean, the, the old sort of journey to get there. And then once we were in the final, I've got to say, how we won that, I don't know. <laughs> and for the first, well, leading up to the game, when we had, you know, we had injuries, we had, we had suspensions. And, right, he was um, suspended, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and then we had this young midfield. Like, well, I was, in the, I was the oldest one in midfield there, but I'm, I was conscious that I had a in Selly. And uh, Stephen Morrow, oh, I know, like, think these are young. I'm thinking like these are young guys, you know. And are, are we going to be up for this? But we had the back four. We had the goalkeeper. Uh, you know, we had the same back four and the same same goalkeeper. So we knew we knew that um, the back line was solid. It was just the midfield was, you know, so so inexperienced. Um, up front, we had a Smudge and and uh, Kev. And um, Merce played that day, that evening. So, and they had such a lineup. 
so leading in, into the game, I kind of personally, I felt that, you know, they, they were a better team on paper and we were going to up, be up against it. And we were. First 20 minutes, I don't know how we got by. <laughs> there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of kicking by. going on. Oh, we were like, oh, <laughs> we were just chasing shadows. And how they didn't score in the first 20 minutes, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just, well, oh, well, we, you know, we just hung in there as we did. That's, that, was our, that was our game. That's, you know, we just made it as difficult as we could. They, they missed some chances. They've made, they've made some good saves. We just felt hungry. You know, some games, Adrian, you just like, the team's kind of at you and you just don't know how you're going to, you know they're going to score in a minute. Any minute now, you feel it. Just have, have to hang in there, and we—that's what George gave us. He had, you know, we had great spirit as a team, as players, and we just hung in there for those twenty minutes, and then and then we just found ourselves crawling ourselves into the game. We just scored before half time. The fans were brilliant. We looked up at the the stand, and they were like just. Thousands of them behind the goal. I was in there, Paul, because I was because I, I was I was part of the sort of sub travelling party. So I wasn't I didn't quite make the squad at that point. I was still quite young, so I was in the next batch, and uh, we got tickets in amongst the fans right behind that goal. So it was oh, yeah, it was absolutely yeah. unforgettable. But so for me we to watch, so for me to watch the back, watch the game back all these years later, I actually felt like it was the first time I really saw the game properly <laughs> because because yeah. at the time it was yeah. just all about the atmosphere. On the night, brilliant. I haven't watched it fully all the way through. I've watched um, clips of it. That's Treat funny. yourself, Paul. Treat. Yeah. Have a wallow, mate. It's yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. It genuinely is, Amy. You've just had a massive smile on your face that whole time we've been talking. Well, about this the various things I probably won't say on air when I think about that. Uh, uh, those few days in Copenhagen, that was um, memorable. But uh, just, just to borrow. Um, what Adrian was saying about not blowing smoke up anybody's backside, but I think it's important to explain quite how good Paul was as a player and, you know, that delight of a, of a left foot and having great vision and um, game understanding is I think they call it now, uh, you know, just an awareness of what was going on around. If he needed to battle, he would battle. If he, if he needed to be creative, he could be creative, you know, Paul Those little a, pirouette turns, Amy. Yeah, he was were, a, a really, a really important player for <laughs> Arsenal. And I, I don't think that that should be overlooked. But just when you talk about that young midfield, just there that you had next to you, you're, you're in a, a final. There's the intensity of the occasion. There's the atmosphere and the, the energy of the crowd. It's all a bit kind of wild out there. And you're playing against these brilliant players. Are you actually able to help the young players around you in a situation like that? Because everyone kind of assumes that you do because you're the elder statesman, you've got two young boys. Actually, Have you got time? Can you hear each other? How does it work on the pitch? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question, because it is, it does get frantic out there, especially when you're up against it, as, as we were. And they had some good players, had, you know, international players in, in, their, in their peak. And, you know, we had a young midfield, and they're, they're Key players, a lot of them were in midfield. Zola played that that night. Zola, Brolin, and Aspria, to name yeah, three. To name three, yeah. <laughs> all at the top of their game, all yeah. internationals. But yeah, you're right, Amy. Trying in my mind going into that game, I'm thinking like, got two young guys, got myself, got these three experienced players up against us. Really, how are we going to 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 kind of um, battle with these guys? So. I think what happens is you have to be performing yourself if possible. That ain't always 
possible you might be able, I might be having a bad game or you know misplaced passes or mistimed tackles so things are not going right for me so but then I've got to try and as an older player a more experienced player I've got even in that situation support those those younger guys by like I say you can't there's often no you hiding, can't hear right? each other no hiding basically for you, you is there that, that no day? no you got you got to show that you are up for it up for the battle in every way so physically and um, you see I think the thing is when you're going through a bad sort of period in the game is often players will not particularly want the ball and that is that is one of the key things of being a playoff character is wanting the ball when things are not going your way so yeah showing that to the players um, being willing to get on on the ball and they can see that being willing to make challenges and they can see that and also talking to them but you're right Amy you can't get messages across that easy when it you know when the fans when it's noisy like that you just have to pick your moments there were stoppages in the game when the ball goes out of play when there's a free kick or something like that just talking to your 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 colleagues and just assuring them you know this is what we need to do reminding them you know this this, this is the plan so I think it's more of that um, that you're trying to do with with players all the time, and, and of course we had we had um, experienced players at the back, which is really important. So Tony, um, Dave Seaman, and, and Nigel, all, all those guys, Steve Bold, Lee Dixon, they you know they would be talking to us in front of them when when the ball went out of play. So it's kind of that a team a team effort um, to support those guys. Obviously, uh, you played under Terry Neal and Jules Graham um, mainly. Um... Very different coaches. Um, did you prefer one to the other? I know you had a time when things with, with George weren't working out particularly, but did you have a preference for the type of coaching that they did? Yeah. I mean, obviously both of them had huge impacts on my career. And I, I, I talk in the book about uh, both in, 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 in good terms, I think, obviously, Terry, Terry sadly passed away recently and I was at his funeral and he he did a lot for me and you know um, I, I I kept in contact we kept in contact even after I'd finished playing so he'd always be a part a good part of my memories at Arsenal and he was always good to me and then but you know it was a different time he he, he was um, he wasn't so much coach I didn't feel he was more a manager Terry and uh, Don Al was the coach at that point so um, that whereas George was was the manager and he was the coach as well he did both George and you know although George and I fell out and you know stuff happened there um, that I felt strongly about and he felt strongly about you know he still bought tremendous success to to the club and to myself and I talk about that in the book how you know how the relationship went it was it was it was up and then it went down <laughs> and uh you know we we speak when we see each other now but uh, we haven't spoken about the, the the disagreements but um yeah I think you know I just I am that type of person that will after a while if I'm fed up with something I will you know I would say it um, I'm not going to 
continue to accept stuff that I don't feel is right and rightly or wrongly that's 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 how I, I am really. It's like people say like Paul, you don't you don't really say much, but actually I I do in a different not just just not maybe in the way that certain people want it to be said. Can I ask you uh, briefly about your career uh, after you finished playing? I mean, you write extensively in the book about the difficulties of getting a coaching job for you and hundreds of other black players. And you talk about the Rooney rule, uh, if you're unaware. It says the rule that at least one black, Asian or minority ethnic candidate for a job has to be on the list of interviewees. It doesn't mean they're getting the job, as a lot of people still think that is the case. Um, To give us some context, in 2021... 43% 43% of Premier League footballers were black, 34% across other leagues. Uh, last season, there were seven black managers currently working at the professional clubs, and Patrick Vieira is the 10th black manager in the Premier League out of 240. Um, Paul, I, mean, I know you could talk about this for hours, but I, when you point these figures out to people in charge, and I know you have, what do they say? There's not much you can really say um, when the figures are there. And uh, and that's why that's why I keep referring back to. Um, and I've I've been in this industry for such a long time, and I've watched and I've spoken to people. I've got my own experiences, um, and I talk about this quite because it's I'm passionate about this this part of the game because I feel that we haven't the game hasn't really adre- addressed it. Um, the game is missing out on so much that could be could be added to the game, um, and so ultimately, it's the game is the thing that is not getting the full value of the people that could be there doing, giving their input, having a different way of doing something, having a different view on what's being done. That's that's what it's that's what it is, and it yeah, uh, it people say different things in um, some. People, when you know, I'll just explain my thoughts. Will listen, and and you feel as though they 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 understand. Uh, some people don't. They just they just don't believe it. They just don't can't understand it. So it can get frustrating, but um, I believe I believe that it, it's the right thing to do to make the game more diverse and inclusive all the way through. I just believe in my heart that that's, that's the right thing and I'll, I'll continue to kind of talk about it. That's kind of how I try to deal with it because it can, it can consume you. So, yeah, it's, it's something I feel strongly about. I talk about it in the book. It's in the book, yeah. And um, hopefully... Uh, hopefully hopefully are, the right people will read it. <laughs> read it, yes, exactly that and um, just try yeah. to get a different perspective on, on, on something that's really important. Well, the book, uh, you write very well uh, about that, uh, about all of, all of it, really. Uh, the book is called uh, Arsenal and After. It's available, uh, That you always say this, but I'm sure it is available in all good bookshops. Um, and Paul, we're going to get your thoughts uh, ahead of uh, Saturday's North London Derby next. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is Handbrake Off Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, and just for this week, the Arsenal legend. That is Paul Davis. as well. You are a legend, Paul. 447 games. What you meant, as we said uh, in the first section, to all those other black players and black fans. Uh, North London derby uh, this weekend. Uh, Paul, of course, made his debut. Um, <laughs> Paul, I'll come to you first. What have you made of the Arsenal this se- season uh, so far? Yeah, I've been really interested, really excited, as as most of the fans I've spoken to have been. Um, I've only managed to get to a couple of the games. I went, got to the Aston Villa game, which was really exciting. I really enjoyed that one. And then I've been to watch the Brentford game away. Um, which was again a good result, um, good performance. Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm excited. I think uh, when the fans were giving Mikel a hard time this time last year, I think yeah, when um, things weren't going well, I, I had I just said to people, you know, to stick. You have to stick with him. Um, it's going to take. He needed. He needed a little bit of time, and it's come. It's come. It's come to be. Um, so I'm really happy with. What's going on? What the buys that we've made, um, the way the team's looking, and um, and I feel it, there's going to be ups and downs. Obviously, in the season, that's what that's what happens, and fans will probably get disappointed when, those if and when I don't know which one that will be. We drop points, which. Not any yeah, time that's, soon that's, with that's, a bit of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and, and fans have to kind of, uh, and that's this is the thing about fans and, and players always. I don't know if you find this, Adrian. It's fasc- I find it all really fascinating listening to fans. And, uh, and, um, and um, are we a bit deluded, Paul? Is that what well, you're saying? Well, no, it's great. It's great because it's so passionate. Yeah. It's like, but yeah. We, yeah. um, as, as players, as former players and, and current players, we kind of just, it's a, it's a profession for us, isn't it? It's kind of how you got, we look on it really, really differently. So I sit with um, friends who are fans and you know, they're like, they're off the head with all sorts of stuff. Do you know what, on that, I feel <laughs> I've missed out on that. You know, as yeah. a bit working in football as a player now as a, a as a sort of analyst or journalist, whatever you want to call it, you have to look at it sort of objectively. And I miss that raw emotion that Stoney might have when he watches Arsenal of just yeah. like... just Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> sat in front of me, Paul. You know exactly what it's exactly, like. Exactly, yeah. I, I should tell that story. Like, I got two season tickets and uh, um, a couple of years or well, more than a few years ago I used to go to the games and I, mean, I used to um, sit and watch it with my sons in front or whoever and I used to hear these voices behind me like talking talking football and I thought actually these guys are quite they're not a little bit about <laughs> I thought oh you were going to say talking something else for a minute <laughs> uh, I'm quite touched at this yeah, point because yeah. for a long time Ian, I didn't actually look look round because I wasn't sure who was behind me I just heard these words and, and then so um, 
I suppose, I don't know, about six months into the season, I thought, uh, or maybe one of you taps me on the back, on the shoulders, and just introduce yourself. But it was only after a while. It was Ian. So yeah. Ian and some other <laughs> colleagues, wasn't it, Ian? Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I did used to listen to your conversation as the games were going on. I thought, yeah, these guys are passionate, but they know a little bit <laughs> as well. <laughs> we Look should, how happy do you know what? That, I'm yeah. going to put... Put that, I'm going to put that on my gravestone. <laughs> Passionate but knew a little bit. Go yeah, on, but that, that's important. Knew a little bit, Stony. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, an important yeah. word no, in, that, in that sentence. No, yeah. <laughs> well, no, Amy, that's actually, interesting. It was entertaining, actually. Yeah, it was entertaining and listening. Yeah. I didn't it's, want to turn around. I could hear the, com- <laughs> the comments, and I thought these guys are passionate, but they got yeah, they know they know their stuff a bit. It was like Paul. Go on, Amy. Paul, can I just ask you? You know, talking of fans having strong opinions uh, uh, about players. Granite Xhaka, um, as a left-footed midfield, midfield player yourself, what do you make of his, uh, I suppose transformation might be the word, hit, hit, well, how things, are go- how things are going for him this season? Yeah, it's been a resurrection, as you said, Ian. It's amazing. I think, like most people, that back when it, whenever it was, three, four years ago now, I don't know, when he walked off and the fans were booing him, you really, I did feel that that was the end of it for him but he's turned it around I, I mean Mikhail Arteta's obviously got through to him his game's more disciplined um, and he's sticking to the game plan that he's been asked to do but yeah I've, I've I kind of I have struggled with it for many, like I suppose many fans have but he's um, he's producing right now in terms of you know being disciplined and playing playing to to what he's been asked to play, the role he's been asked to do, and and not making reckless decisions, and so yeah, he's turned it around, Amy. He's, he's done he's done fantastically well this season, I think. And and um, I mean, we, we could go through the whole team, but is there any one player in particular that you think has made the difference this year? Because it is obviously a substantive difference with the way we've started. Has anyone particularly stood out? I like Jesus. I think he's, oh, yeah, we all like Jesus, him. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he's really added a lot of stuff to us. So yeah, he's 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 done fantastically well. I think uh, Partey when he's fit uh, in the team is is great great player to have in there. Um, obviously, I like Saka, although um, I feel he's gone off it just a little bit personally. But he's still, still doing well. Um, he looked fantastic. Yeah, so those for are those are the three. Sort of he looked fantastic when when he was played in his correct position. He looked absolutely brilliant. Adrian, you want to yeah, come in? Yeah, just just because obviously Paul now works in the you know in coaching and educating coaches that are out there. I just wondered you, your thoughts on Arteta's tactical approach because from from my end looking at it, the vision is. He's coming to life now before our eyes. He's just he's finally got the right players to to fit the type of football that he that he wants to to execute. And I just think there's been a big difference this season with obviously the Xhaka role pushing on, both the fullbacks kind of tucking in rather than just standing up there high high up the pitch, leaving us more vulnerable. I, th- I feel the platform's better, and that front five of which you can include Granite Xhaka, we're seeing a bit more chaos, less structure less sort of predictable patterns to the way Arsenal attack and it feels like 
opponents uh, find it really hard to get to grips with it. Arteta as a coach, what's your view? Yeah, I, I I talk about this in the book in terms of how I got to know Mikel, and um, it was through through the coaching. So I didn't obviously I didn't play in the same team. I wasn't there as a coach with with Mikel. Um, but in his final year as a player at Arsenal, 2015-2016, um, he approached the uh, PFA, Professional Football Association, asking about um, inquiring about doing his starting his co- coaching qualifications. Uh, which t- I was there at the PFA at that point, so I was working in the coaching department, um, and so I kind of got he got assigned to me, or I got assigned to him. And we'd done some one-on-one sessions and I kind of supported him through that particular course. So I got to know him through through this course. And, you know, the preparation, I just saw then, I didn't know him before that. I saw his preparation in just doing these small sessions. And what he, what they, what he had to do was, part of the course is organise the players. So he, and obviously the club helped, the club helped him. He had to get... So, you know, Adrian Hayden, you know, the youngsters train and play. So the idea is that he organises all that. The, the, he gets the players. So he would have done that. Um, I'd go down to the Aylen, um, ask him to put a session on or sessions on using the young young players. Um, and that's what he'd do. And he'll explain, you know, what he's doing, why he's doing it. And... You know, we just talk it through, and yeah. So his knowledge at that sort of level of coach, what he had to do at that point was far and above what the course was. But it's just a process that he had to go through. So I saw, I saw a lot of qualities even back then around sort not just the technical side that he was displaying with the young players, and but the way he was explaining himself and what why he was doing what he was doing. You know, we've got to know each other pretty well and you know, I'm thankful that he, he supported me with the forward for the book I'm really appreciative of that and as, as Amy did thank you Amy for supporting me with that with some great lovely words and then and then um, Arsene Wenger supported me with that so yeah I've had some great support from, from a lot yeah. of people with this book decent cast um, yeah. <laughs> not bad is it some, all, they've all put some kind words and I really appreciate it um, one, so, yeah. one more thing Paul, before we uh, finish chatting about about uh, the uh, game, um, well, not so much the game, but the season. Where, what are the expectations for the Arsenal moving forward now? Where can we finish this season? Um, Man City looked pretty good. Haaland <laughs> obviously is useful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started off the season by saying if we we come in full from win the Europa, then I'll be happy. But um, I'm starting to think, you know. We could win the Premier League. You know, <laughs> a lot of people are smiling at that. But <laughs> anything is possible right now. Um, yeah. I'm going to keep it keep it like that. It's uh, yeah, it's anything anything in this game. Once you get once you get going and the team believe, you know, we, we've been there. I've been there in terms of that 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 belief. You know, you're winning games and it's all of a sudden you kind of don't feel as though you're going to lose lose any games or too many games. And if we can get that and don't have any injuries, that's the thing. I mean, the other, the other squads have got big big squad, bigger squads, you know, Man City and Liverpool, Chelsea even. I know about Spurs, they've got a bigger squad, 
probably stronger squad. We don't so, talk about them on here, to yeah, be honest yeah. with you. So it's so. like, if we can keep away from major injuries, I think, yeah, yeah why not? Anything's possible. Anything's love possible. the sound of that. Yeah. Um, love the optimism, Paul. Uh, Paul's book, um, Arsenal and After, uh, is out there and available now, and it's and it is really excellent uh, and worth a read. Um, let's have a song uh, to end. We started with music. We're going to end with music. Uh, Adrian, we'll come to you first because we'll work our way up <laughs> from the cheese. Get the rubbish <laughs> one out of the way first, eh? Um, look. For me, there's one song that really stands out this week. <laughs> it's, it's in honour of Tony Adams' unforgettable Strictly <laughs> debut last weekend. It was also, of course, the theme tune on that night in Copenhagen. It's got to be Go West by the Village People uh, in honour of, of both those <laughs> unbelievable events. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. My God. Do you know what, Amy? Paul, Amy, Adrian's nailed it. I mean, he's nailed I'm, it. I'm I'm not, I mean, I can, we can pick songs, but that is what... Do you know what? He's been... Whoever did that tweet, was it Big Sam? Sam, well done, because Adrian has been jolted into life. And that is exact... I'm not sure there's a better song than that. Amy, have we got a uh, Paul? Did, I mean, I'm genuinely thinking that might that? be Wasn't that um, Pet Shop Boys? They did. It was Village, did, did, they... no, village Gosh, People first. Know. And that's oh, what Tony, really that's what Tony, quote marks, danced to last weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, the no, dancing. I, I if, by that. the way, listener, if you haven't seen that, it is worth, you can't unsee it. I would say that. Obviously, once it's there, it's there. But my God, that was uh, uh, something I'd never seen before. Uh, movement. I wasn't sure was actually possible. Um Amy, uh, are we going to go with Go West or we got we anything else? We can do. I mean, to... I was going to choose something with a different kind of musicality, but um, uh, <laughs> I, I've gone for some deep funk from the JBs and give me some more. <laughs> Come on, let's give me some yes. more. I'd like that from top of the league, Arsenal, please. Give me some more. Quiet. Paul, have you got anything uh, else? I don't know. I'm really stuck. I don't feel I can top any of those two guys. Okay, you have to you have to be the arbiter. You're gonna take go west or are you gonna take the JVs? Oh well hang on a minute. I was gonna go keep on running. I was gonna go keep on running by the Spencer Davis group. In honour of Jesus, who I just love watching him, he just non-stop. Uh, so I'm having that really. Paul, you got one you're gonna choose from those three? Well I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with we're we're back. The one that I started with at the start of this at the start of this conversation. Are. That's that's me. That's my that's my contribution to this one. Lovely. Was, anybody hasn't uh, listened to that? Um, it was what year was that? It, Amy? it was eighty nine. It was after the title win. Uh, it was a pretty auspicious year for the Arsenal they as well. So that one. decent decent choice. Anything, in fact, but the shaman who support either Tottenham or Chelsea. We're not sure which. Um, that's it. Uh, from uh, the podcast. Thanks to Amy uh, and Adrian and our producer, Abby, and special thanks uh, to Paul Davis for coming on uh, the show. Lovely to have you here, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. And uh, and thank you, listener. And uh, <laughs> Saturday morning. <laughs> have a good time. If you get in the Emirates, make as much noise as we possibly can. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. See ya. Uh, oh, and just before you go, uh, here's a little more Arsenal for you. The Athletic Football Tactics podcast have been casting their eye over the North London derby and bring you the best tactical insight in the business. Here's a little taster for you now. Uh, it's Ali Maxwell, Michael Cox and Ahmed Walid talking Arsenal. 
Ahmed, Michael suggested there that, that Arsenal's approach might be nicely suited to, to Spurs' approach. So we might have a really interesting tactical battle here. I wonder if Spurs may have looked at the way that Manchester United beat Arsenal earlier this season and sort of licked their lips a little bit. They might have thought, yeah, I think we can, I think we can do similar things to hurt this Arsenal team. Exactly. So I predict that Arsenal will press high. So Arsenal, if we looked at their attacking third pressures this season per 90, uh, they are sixth in terms of uh, their position in the league. And if we looked at last season, they were fifth in terms of the attacking third pressures. So Arsenal are a team that presses high, but not not in all games. So they're not like uh, Leeds, City. uh, So they choose the game that they want to press high. So I think the games that come to mind are uh, City's game last season at the Emirates on New Year's Day. Like they had different pressing schemes to to fight against City's different build-ups, and there's the game against Chelsea at the end of 2021 season, uh, where it's Stamford Bridge, and their pressing won them the game. They scored um, Smith Rowe scored the goal from pressing, and there's the game away to United in November 2020. Also, their pressing scheme worked and won them the game. So Arsenal choose when to press, and I think they they'll press Tottenham's build-up according to what we saw. Uh, throughout the seven games that have been played mm. that Spurs have problems in their build-up. So yeah, that could suit Tottenham if they had a good idea in their build-up. If they were great on the ball in terms of their uh, build-up phase, they can't break through this press and this will suit Tottenham, of course. But if Arsenal get it right, Michael, then that could be a real area or an avenue of, of attack for them. Um, how impressed have you been with Arsenal's press this season uh, and potential the, the importance of new signing Gabriel Jesus to it? He should be fresh here, having sat out uh, Brazil's international break. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, he's been excellent so far this season. I think the first thing he did this season, in fact, pretty much the first event of the Premier League campaign, because it was the first game, was he just single-handedly pressed high up against Crystal Palace, won the ball, dribbled through the defence and set up uh, Gabriel Martinelli, who should have scored. And that's really set the tone for his performances. I've been really impressed with him in almost every aspect. Um, it's not like he's a new player to the Premier League. We we know him very well, but I can't think of many examples of a player who's moved club in the Premier League and looks so completely transformed. Um, everything he's done has been good. His link play has been good. His finishing has largely been good, which was a bit of a criticism of him. Um, And I've been so impressed with his first touch and the way he uses his body against defenders. I mean, he just looks so strong. I mean, again, I can't really remember thinking that of him that much at Manchester City. But uh, yeah, he has completely transformed Arsenal. I think uh, these days it's not just goals you want from your striker, but it's also kind of epitomising the way the whole team plays with the ball and without the ball. And he's just a much better fit than Lacazette or Nketiah. You've had a good old look, Ahmed, at, at Spurs and build-up issues. When it comes to Arsenal and the way that they're looking to build up in particular, what have you made of, of how they're looking this season, maybe compared to last time out? Michael mentioned the arrival of Jesus, and I want to add the arrival of Zinchenko. I think Zinchenko helped Arsenal massively in terms of their build-up and in terms of their left-side rotations with Martinelli and Xhaka. So we we now can see like arsenal building up building up with a 3-2 shape with Zinchenko moving inside and martinelli having the wing on his own which allows shaka to make those runs um, into the channel and like we've seen lot a lot of these runs that could have turned into goals this season and also this rotation between the three we can see shaka dropping to the left back zinchenko inside and martinelli wide or martinelli inside 
this offers some something of an unpredictable arsenal on the left side and mm. this helped them a lot this season it's been really interesting hasn't it michael i would have thought as an idiot that zinchenko signing and his as soon as you know as soon as the first game of the season started we could see zinchenko tucking inside moving centrally inverted if you will uh, was going to become a thing i would have thought that might have basically impinged on Xhaka and entered into his sort of territory and and meant that Arsenal might need a different type of player to to um, to kind of mesh with Zinchenko and the areas of the pitch that he was moving into. As it is, it's completely freed up Granit Xhaka. Yeah, he's pushed forward a lot more. I, I quite enjoyed Jamie Redknapp's analysis of the situation before, I think, the Manchester United game where he basically said, Xhaka makes too many mistakes close to his own goal. Just push him higher up the pitch so we can't <laughs> do that, which I kind of think there's some truth in it. Um, but yeah, it's worked really well. Those rotations down the left, I think, have been a really key feature of Arsenal's play so far this season. Um, I think they've been a lot more threatening, a lot more progressive down that side. Then down the right, where I think Saka's been a little bit quiet at the start of the season. I think he's picked up in the last two games. was good against Manchester United. Um, but yeah, down the left is is really where Arsenal are doing well. They don't really have the same dynamism down the right because they're playing Ben White there, who I think has, has done okay um, at right back, but isn't, you know, isn't really uh, an overlapper. He's not really coming inside into midfield. So it's a, a bit more static down that side mm-hmm. to continue listening to this week's tactical north london derby preview just search for the athletic football tactics podcast wherever you get yours mm-hmm. 